No one would have believed in the beginning of the 21st century that this world was to be taken over by psychopathic liars and murderers. Not many had heard of the word ponderology or pathocracy. Man's vanity, ignorance, greed and selfishness had led him to the end of days. The end of days that had been carefully and secretly planned a long time ago. Some who did have some idea that all was not as it should be, scrambled frantically for truthful information in cyberspace on the world wide web of the internet. But alas, the powers that be had known in advance that this would happen, and had beforehand set up sites that would trap these truth seekers. Sites full of disinformation, little bits of truth as bait on the outside but containing nothing but lies, manipulation, and filth within. But one news site did shine a light brightly in those dark days. into the heart of occupied America. Welcome to this week's Signs of the Times podcast. And we have a rather special show for you tonight. We've just been sitting around with Laura once again, listening to a tape that she made of an exorcism that she did quite a few number of years ago. And we're slightly freaked out by the whole thing. Although... It wasn't exactly an exorcism, I suppose, or at least Laura didn't think it was going to turn into an exorcism. No, no. She thought she it was just a common garden spirit release therapy, which turned into something a little more than that, let's say. There, there was no pea soup involved. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you describe it, Laura? How would I describe it? Well... A wake-up call? <laughs> <laughs> Well, let me say that uh, you know it, it took us a while to find the tapes because I have all of these tapes and fireproof boxes, you know these these kinds of safes that you buy at uh, at Sam's Club, you know where you keep all your valuables. Well, I keep all my tapes in fireproof fireproof boxes. But that's not necessarily because you're expecting fire. <laughs> it's more in line with if anybody's ever seen the movie Ghostbusters. <laughs> They had a containment <laughs> um, apparatus, so no. something along those lines, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. No, it's just that uh, uh, you know, most most of my life is uh, is recorded on on these hundreds and hundreds of tapes, either uh, in terms of doing spirit release or doing hypnotherapy of, of other types or past life regression, and of course the years and years of tapes of, of the Cassiopeian sessions. So for me, they're like my life, you know. If anyone ever questions me on any one of these, uh, on any of the transcripts, you know, I, if, if they have a good reason to and they can afford the ticket to fly over to listen to it, I'll certainly let them listen to the original tape. But in any event, I have these tapes, and we had to go digging around looking for the one in specific that I, I wanted to uh, wanted to share with the listeners because it's it's pretty important. 
a bit of a metaphor for what actually happens digging around. <laughs> digging, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, anyway, uh, I suppose I ought to set the scene for this particular tape excerpt that I, I'm going to play for the audience tonight. And uh, I, I've mentioned it once or twice. It's actually the last session I ever did with what I would call a stranger that, you know, was referred to me, uh, you know, that just kind of came in off the street, somebody that I didn't know well over a period of time. Uh, I did, of course, have several interviews with this individual before we went to the stage of doing the, uh, the hypnotherapy session. So it wasn't as though I, I wasn't, you know, fully aware of, of his situation as far as he knew it and as far as he was able to tell me. But there were clearly things he didn't know or didn't want to tell or was unable to tell, which emerged during the course of this particular session, which caused me literally to retire. It took me six months to get over it. Anyway, this was a a young man who came to me because he had uh, what he described as problems with self-esteem. Now, the reason he felt that he had problems with self-esteem were because he was uh, involved with a a young woman. Uh, They were not married, but they did have a child together, and they lived together off and on. And part of the time he was with her, and part of the time he was with his family, with his parents. Now, the situation was that he had met her and been very attracted to her, and they uh, they had gotten together and... Uh, she she was pregnant and had a baby. He doesn't know whether the baby was his or not. During the course of their relationship, she became uh, very interested in in a in a certain fundamentalist religion. She started going to church, and the reason she started going to church was because she felt that her life was falling apart because she was spending too much time at bars and too much time having promiscuous, gratuitous sex with you know multiple partners. And this, of course, was causing problems in their relationship. Now, of course, right away you're going to ask, you know, why is this this if why is this guy with a girl who goes to bars and has uh, has gratuitous promiscuous sex with multiple partners, and why is he staying with her? Well, obviously, he had a self esteem problem. <laughs> That's all I can. So. Because of the fact that he was going to leave her and she would no longer have any support, she became aware of the fact that she needed to do something to change her life, and she decided that religion was going to be the answer, so she started going to church. She went to a uh, a local Pentecostal-type fundamentalist church that uh, had grown so large it actually had bought an old shopping center to hold services in. And I mean, you know, one of these really old... uh, Oh, 1960s type uh, supermarket buildings that they had renovated into a what they called a, a a salvation hall or whatever, and they had a huge billboard outside on the highway that uh, says "Come in and meet God." <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking. And she, she so she started going to this church, and she knew that she had these problems, so she became uh, rather close to several of the of the elders of the church or the pastor, the pastor's wife or some of the other ladies that were married to the elders, you know, and telling them about her problems, that she really needed help, that she really had problems. So what happened was, was on one particular service, 
they all decided that it was going to be her turn to get prayed for because she was really asking for it, and they were all going to lay hands on her and pray for her, and she was going to receive the saving grace of uh, of Jesus or whatever, and, and everything was going to change in her life and be fine. Well, they all gathered around her and began to pray, and she was standing there with her eyes closed and she began to pray and everybody's praying and they've all got their hands on her and they're praying and the hallelujahs are flying and the you know the praise jesus and the the various uh, things that go on at that sort of uh, meeting and activity and from what i understand the next thing that anyone knew was that she had taken a sharpened pencil out of the jacket pocket of one of the gentlemen who who was praying for her you know of course everybody had their hands on her so it was like you know 10 people with their hands on her and she had begun stabbing at people and she injured someone and they they of course got the pencil away from her took her down decided that she had a demon or something and uh, she ended up in in a local psychiatric unit for observation for a period of time she was released from observation after the designated time, and they said that there was, uh, you know, she obviously needed to have counseling. But They didn't find the demon in the psychiatric <laughs> hospital? No, I guess not. So she went back to the boyfriend, and they continued their relations, and he wanted to get away from her because she, you know, after she'd given up on, on getting saved in the church, she went back to her old ways of of going to the bars and and having lots of relations with lots of men. Now, now this was really strange because I did later actually interview her, and I have an interview with her on tape. And I've never encountered anyone quite like this who would who would sit there across the room and tell me and and just in just the plainest most unembarrassed way about her her sex life you know about going to the bar and she she met some men there and she wanted several of them so she invited them outside of the bar one at a time and they were behind the bar and you know having sex and then she would go inside and and get another one and she she didn't seem to think that this was at all unusual except that she knew that it made her boyfriend boyfriend jealous well he wanted to end the relationship so he ended up going to a uh, a local bookstore looking for some self-help books and and that's where he picked up one of my cards and called me and that's how I ended up in, on on my uh on my therapy sofa <laughs> so to speak actually he didn't make it on the sofa but um so he told me most of this story and he said what he really wanted and needed was to have the strength to be able to just walk away from this situation because every time he walked away she would call him up and he just felt an uncontrollable urge to go back to her he could not resist her whenever she called and said she was sorry she would try again she would be good she would you know reinitiate the relationship on better terms so he wanted to have the strength to say no that was it really he just wanted to be able to say no and mean it and stick to it so that seemed like not too difficult a thing. I mean, you, you give someone some therapy, find out where in their life, usually in their childhood, they uh, they made decisions about themselves that they weren't worthy or they weren't 
strong or they or they didn't deserve to have happiness or they needed to be abused because abuse was what they perceived as love, you know, and any number of things. And from what he told me about his childhood, his past, there was there was nothing to indicate any kind of abuse. There was nothing to indicate that he had a really miserable childhood in any way. It was it sounded like a fairly normal upbringing. So so I wasn't thinking that I was going to be dealing with somebody who needed heavy-duty psychiatric care because if if I thought that there was any serious abuse, I would have sent him immediately to the to, to the nearest psychiatrist or psychologist. So after having this interview and and learning about this situation and and learning as much as I could about his background, where he grew up, where he went to school, what kind of grades he made, you know, that sort of thing. And then I scheduled him for a session. I had uh, developed a handy little technique along the way, which I called remote spirit release therapy. And actually, I learned this from, from reading some some of the writings of Carl Wickland, who was a psychiatrist at a mental hospital back in the 30s and 40s. He wrote a book, you know, 30 Years Among the Dead. And he would use his wife. I, I believe her name was Bessie or Betty. I, I, that may not be it, but in any event, he would use his wife as a medium and put her under hypnosis to diagnose his psychiatric patients in the psychiatric hospital. And it was so effective that, you know, he continued to do it because, of course, he was working with people who were, who were seriously, seriously ill. That's why they were in a psychiatric hospital. And his method was quite effective, apparently. So I thought, well, this is pretty handy. And I had already been doing this for a considerable period of time. I had a friend that I would uh, actually had two or three who volunteered to do this from time to time, so it wasn't always the same person. But, you know, one of my volunteers, volunteer mediums, would come, and I would put them under hypnosis at the same time that the subject was under hypnosis. And what the subject couldn't deal with or couldn't see, or if there was any serious blockage, I would simply ask the the medium, we'll call him a medium for lack of a better term, well, how about calling him the viewer? I would ask the viewer what they could see or what they could contribute uh, in in way in the way of insight about the situation. This was also very useful when an individual was uh, beleaguered or where the where the situation was such that it, I felt that they needed somebody to to be with them to more or less hold their hand, and it was really kind of a of a handy way because. It was like the the viewer went into hypnosis with them, which uh, which was very helpful. They didn't feel like they were alone, and and they uh, you know and they could talk to each other. They could talk to me. I could talk to both of them. So it was it was kind of a, a unique way of dealing with it. So my friend in this particular ca- occasion said, "Okay, I will I will help with this one because I thought this this particular subject." might need this kind of extra help because since he was talking about a, you know, a serious self-esteem problem, uh, having a friend, uh, a, a confidant, even while he was under hypnosis, would be extra reassuring. So I had both of them under hypnosis, and I was going through the 
the more or less standard script work that uh, William Baldwin presents in his book Spirit Release Therapy or Spirit Releasement Therapy. And it's a pretty formulaic uh, series of of things that are said or uh, pronounced at different times. Naturally, you don't just do it like like you're reading. You have to understand what you're saying and doing, and there's you know plenty of room for ad lib. But essentially, the formula is pretty much the same. You you call on uh, uh, the spirits of light or spirits of healing. You know he calls them the rescue spirits or the rescue angels. And since his technique worked and and people seemed to like it, you know I generally just used it pretty much as he had set it up. So. I did the uh, the initial viewing of this individual and identified, you know, several so-called attachments or pockets of discordant energy. And between him and between my friend, the viewer, we took care of those fairly effectively. That was not a problem. And then we... Uh, I wanted to take him a little deeper to find out if there was anything else. And I wanted him to find or create his safe place that he could operate from, you know, to go into some some other issues. And what happened was, was when I asked him to, you know, to find the door to his his safe place or his private room, and I asked him to go to it and open it, he said, well, I can't. And I asked why, and he said, well, it's covered with ice. I mean, it had a a thick layer of ice on it. Had you ever encountered a situation like that where somebody was in front of a door that was blocked by a sheet of ice or no i hadn't i mean there were lots of doors i mean generally i would ask the subject to create their their space and and i would just say okay you're going to there's a door and you're going to uh open it and then on the other side of that door is you know your 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 sanctuary your Mm -hmm. safe place you know it's it's the place that only you can go. It belongs completely to you. There's nothing in there but, you know, what you want to be there, etc. And people would generally create all kinds of doors. Some people would have garden gates. Some people would have, you know, big oak doors with, you know, brass studs on them. Some people would have, you know, nice French doors with panes of glass. Or they would have a door with uh, stained glass um, designs on it. You know, I mean, it, it's depending on the personality, they had all different kinds of doors, but I had never had anybody who had a door covered with a foot-thick sheet of ice. <laughs> that should have warned me. But in any event, my subject didn't seem to be able to uh, to know what to do with this sheet of ice because, of course, from my perspective, getting him through the door so that he could interact with his own, you know, deep subconscious issues was was my objective. So I inquired of my viewer, you know, what, you know, what did he see and what did he suggest? And he said, well, he said, you know, uh, an ap- application of heat would melt the ice. And I said, okay, well, this is a good idea. So we, we uh, had the, the subject imagine that he was melting the ice and of course the viewer helped assisted with this because the subject didn't feel that he had the strength to melt the ice on his own so the ice was duly melted and then the instruction was given to you know one two three you know open the door and go through and i believe at that point he said uh you know i don't want to do that or you know 
you know, I don't want to. And I assured him that there was nothing to be afraid of, just to go ahead and open the door and go inside. So he went inside, and everything was fine for a while. He described a room when it had, you know, it was like the inside of a cabin, and there was a rocking chair, and he sat down in the rocking chair, and and we went through several uh, several different kinds of, of release techniques while he was rocking in this rocking chair. And, and I just felt like that... Uh, there was still something because I still hadn't found anything that related to this particular issue that he had. So I asked my viewer, did he see anything else? And he said that there were two gray cords or ropes or what appeared to be two gray cords or ropes attached to the subject's feet that extended off into space. And I said to the subject reach down and take a hold of those ropes and start reeling them in. And that's when things really started to go south. So let's see if we can find that spot on the tape and play that little bit of a clip for you right now. Had you ever had anything similar to that in other experiences? You mean like ropes, like tied ropes to, tied to people? Oh, and, oh certainly. That's, yeah. that, 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 what, that in itself wasn't so terribly unusual because... Uh, that's a, a frequent symbol for things that people don't really want to look at. And also, it had occurred on a number of occasions where uh, there was an attached entity who didn't want to be found and dislodged, so they would leave. But since they had, they still had a, a tenuous attachment, mm-hmm. this was viewed symbolically as a rope as a, that was still mm-hmm. attached to the individual. Mm-hmm. So they would they would leave and go hide so that nobody would make them leave, you know, i.e. me. And, but they would always be found by these little telltale cords and ropes and things uh, that were still attached. And, and this was something that Baldwin wrote about. Uh, so he, it's not, you know, just unique to my particular experience. It's, it's uh, fairly common. Yeah. So I didn't think anything terribly unusual about these ropes it was just a matter of you know hey you you got these cords attached so just grab hold of them and pull them back pull them in and find out what's there and <laughs> let's send it down the road <laughs> and so let's now let's find, find out what was on the other end of that all rope. right okay okay two gray lines attached to his feet and they go off into space okay. victor can you look down and see those gray cords they're like little amorphous, smoky, cloudy-looking things attached to your feet going off in the space. Now, where do you want? Hmm? What do you want with those? What do I want with them? I want you to grab them and start reeling them in and tell me what they're attached to. No. So, at this point, I don't know if you could hear that so clearly, but he said that uh, uh, 
uh, I can't shake this thing off of me. <laughs> yeah, so that was the first uh, uh, idea that. Uh, well, his his no, you know, he didn't want to grab him and pull him, uh, was kind of a little bit unusual. Quite he, emphatic. It, yeah, it was quite emphatic, and that didn't normally happen. Normally, if someone had a cord attached, you ask them to reach down and reel it in, and they just very happily do it, and it's no big deal, you know, because what comes in on the other end is like, you know, just your your garden variety little uh, aberrant energy or, you know, hanger on or whatever, and they generally go away. I mean, they're usually they're actually sometimes pathetic. They they don't want to leave the person because they're so attached to them so that's why they're hiding so this was uh this was a clue right there that uh, that something was going on and he said uh you know no uh, i don't want i don't want to do that and then i asked him if he wanted to just cut them and cut them loose and he said i've tried to shake this one off many times before you're hearing you're hearing me more or less doing the bill baldwin formula which is to call for rescue angels and healing angels and uh he he has a whole uh a whole bunch of categories of of different kinds of of ethereal beings that you're uh, supposed to call for to help you do this work now from my point of view it doesn't matter to me whether they do or do not exist what matters to me is that the subject can utilize them as symbolic figures to do what he wants or needs to do. I mean, it's, it's as I said, the same thing with, uh, with past life therapy. It didn't matter to me a lot whether the scenarios that the individual created as a past life or whether they were real past life. What mattered was that they were the tools that he worked with to deal with his issue. It was, it was his, his own drama that he could create to to deal with whatever was bothering him. So in this particular type of situation where you're dealing with these aberrant energy type things and whether they are actual attached spirits or attached energy globules or whether they are uh, portions of, of dissociated personality, at this point I can't say. Uh, in some cases, they may be just little dissociated parts and, and the person becoming aware of them and... And dealing with them is is rather like merging them into himself, but in this case it was just it was going to be a little bit different. But anyway, I just wanted to point out that what I'm doing here at, at this point is using uh, Baldwin's fairly formulaic 
requests for, you know, healing angels or workers of light or rescue angels or whatever, you know, to come along because these are the tools that you array for the subject to be able to use uh, to deal with whatever it is he's going to be dealing with. But at this point in the session, the cords are still there and he hasn't reeled them in yet. Yeah, the cords are still there and um, he hasn't real demand that, that that I'm aware of, no. And I was not really alarmed. I just thought that this was, you know, I had had several situations where there were some fairly nasty customers that came along with people, and they were somewhat resistant or tricky or snide or slimy or, you know, any numbers of things like that, but generally with just a little exertion and and calling in all these tools for the individual to work with. You've got all these so-called angels and so-called spirits, whether they're real or not. Like I said, I don't know. Maybe they are. Maybe they're not. And it was, even with some of the, the more repellent types that I had encountered, they you know, responded fairly uh, formulaically to the, to the process. Mm-hmm. So let's continue. So it worked. Yeah, so it worked. And we ask it in the name of the light and the knowledge. The knowledge of the light and the I told you don't mess with them things, man. What we are calling in is more powerful than anything that's out there. Now, at this point, you're going to begin, and, and for some period of time, you're going to hear some little crackly, crack, cracky noises and little funny sounds in, in, in the background. Uh, what's happening at this point is is that, you know, once he shouted, once once that uh, whatever it was uh, woke up or came forward or whatever, uh, the individual began doing some very strange things. First of all, he was lying on the floor with his head perpendicular to the corner of a uh, of, of a sofa. The sofa is where my viewer was reclining under hypnosis, and the subject was lying on the floor on a on a uh, on a pallet with a pillow, with his head right at the corner of the sofa and an end table. On the end table was the tape recorder, and the microphone of the tape recorder was clipped to a lampshade that was also sitting on this table. So there he is, perpendicular, and he began to to writhe, uh, very much like a, like, like a snake. He would you know, move his shoulders up and down alternately, and, and his hips would move around, and his torso would... Uh, would twist and and the odd effect of of all of his muscles rippling you know from top to bottom or bottom to top was 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 quite unnerving so you can tell a little bit of this from the sound of my voice that i'm i'm just a little a little unnerved at this because uh you know usually i'm just dealing with a with a recalcitrant entity that communicates with me and doesn't usually produce uh, this many effects. I mean, I, 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 the, the effects of, of uh, emitting quantities of, of gas is not terribly unusual. But in this case, uh, this was accompanied by these other physical manifestations of swelling 
you know, enlargement of the abdomen, expelling of gas, um, undulating like a serpent, and just generally writhing around in a, in a very unpleasant way. Victor, you must ask for the light to come and assist you and cleanse you. He's fine. I told you leave him alone. And what is your name? I'm not hearing answer questions. Leave him alone. What is your name? At this point, I began more or less doing the Bill Baldwin formula again. And uh, rather than engaging in any kind of dialogue with whoever or whatever it was there who basically told me that if I was so smart I should figure out his name, <laughs> I decided I would just go through the formula because more often than not, the formula worked. So that continued on for, oh, probably a good 10 or 15 minutes. I'm not going to play all of that repetitiously. Uh, just just imagine that for, you know, considerable periods of time in between these interactions that we're, that we're including here, that there were long periods of me uh, going through the formula, which is calling on the angels of light, the workers of light, you know, increasing the light, um, Encouraging Victor to, you know, turn to the light to uh, make the to make the choice to free himself from this, you know, this oppression or this whatever it was, and and you know, lots of encouragement, lots of you know, soothing, loving, you know, encouraging kinds of things. So that's pretty much what was going on for quite a period of time. Now let's see what happens next. In the name of the light, not in this lifetime. And why is that? This one is mine. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask for the rescue angels of mercy and light to assist us. We ask that you surround us. What the hell? We ask that you spread your merciful nets of light around this one. This thing's been in me for over 12 years. That you draw him up into a net of light. We ask that you carry him into the light. That he be transformed by the light. And we ask it in the name of the light. In the name of the light. There's no way you're here. I, I got rid of you. I, I, I know. Like, there's no way you're here. I got rid of you. I thought I got rid of you. 
At this point, what you're hearing is, is the subject emerging momentarily and making a number of comments uh, about what he's realizing, that there is something there. Uh, you know, like, I, I got rid of you, I can't believe you're there, that sort of thing. So there is there is essentially a conflict going on. There is this, this thing that is there that says he's mine. I'm you know I'm going to keep him. You know you can't have him. And the subject himself saying I can't believe you're here. I thought you defeated. I thought you were gone, and so forth. So you know me. I'm just continuing to uh, pronounce the formulaic words. Continuing to pretty much ignore the the. Uh, the being, if such it was, and, uh, you know, not wanting to in- engage it, I, I I would ask questions. But one of the rules is, is that you don't ever let it ask you a question, because if you let it ask you a question and you answer the question, it has power over you. And this is one of the, one of the rules that you can't ever, ever, ever forget. And I know that any of you who have watched the movie The Exorcist, this this little item came up at some point that you don't ever answer a question that's asked by the demon. And it's true. You don't. So I am not going to answer any questions that are asked by this demon, and that rule is firmly in my mind, so I continue to to read the uh, uh, read and speak the and I'm ad-libbing a lot too because, I mean, how many times can you can you say the same formulaic words uh, over and over again. You've got to have a little variety here, so I'm ad-libbing as I go along. So when when you talked to the subject, had you gotten any information that would clarify what he meant by, you're still here, I thought I'd gotten rid of you? You mean later? Yeah. Um, no, not really, because after this was all over, he didn't really remember anything about it. He whatever this this struggle this conflict was between him and it was something that was, he was unaware of at all in his conscious mind it was uh you know total total lack of awareness he he had no idea no in the legions of heaven for the work of rescuing these stark energies from our child and friend victor In the name of the light, we call for the higher ranks and statures of angels. We ask for the legions of heaven to gather every dark one who has been afflicting our brother Victor. We ask that they cut every thread of any and every dark network. Now, one of the things that he just said was, I'm too drained, and he mentioned the name of his of his erstwhile girlfriend and this is an issue that came up afterwards and has come up in other situations that I'm aware of not where I worked with them directly and in in terms of hypnosis but where I've worked with them in in other contexts that uh, sexual interactions can seriously drain an individual's psychic energy if those interactions are with an individual who is of a draining sort. It allows an opening for these kinds of negative energies to attach and also makes it impossible for the individual to resist or, or fight them. 
So what he is, what he has just said is he, he's mentioned his girlfriend's name, although you know that's going to be uh, unclear to you because the tape is not so clear, and and because I know the name, I can hear it. And then he says, "I'm too drained." He he didn't have the strength to fight this thing because he was drained of his energy. Lift these dark ones to the path of freedom far, far from anyone involved in this work. Lift them away from the buildings, the residents, far from the earth plane. We ask for the mercy band of rescue angels of light to gather and take home to the light. Any earthbound spirits now freed by this dark energy as they are being lifted to their appointed place in the light. Oh, it feels like he's burning me. He's not burning him. They're taking him. I call on the Christ consciousness to guide and direct this healing work. I call on the warrior angels of light to stand against this darkness. I call on the mighty rescue spirits of light to work with us here in this place and this time. Mighty rescue spirits of light move deep inside this one and locate the dark one in the name of the light. Bind him in a net of light, a mesh of light, a capsule of light. Bind him in an impenetrable, inescapable, impervious capsule of light surrounding that darkness. Squeeze him and take him away. I call on the warrior angels to locate any pipeline, any conduit, any fiber, any thread, any connection from any outside source of dark energy to this, our brother Victor. Warrior angels of light, please cut and sever any connection to this darkness and lift it away from our brother Victor. surround you with light and love. The gathering of light workers, Archangel Michael and the warrior angels and the rescue angels are all here to assist and support and cleanse you. Victor, are you willing to get out the box? What, what's all this stuff about the box? Well, the box is kind of interesting because at that at that particular moment, uh, having already experienced the locked door with the f- thick sheet of ice on it, I was a little suspicious of the box, <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> a box under lock and key. Yeah. Uh, but I think that the box under lock and key actually, I mean, a- a- after I after I've listened to it a number of other times, that that represented that one little part of of the subject that was still inviolate. Uh, 
mm-hmm. that it had been uh, he had put it under lock and key, or that it had been put under lock and key, and that even he couldn't get to it. He couldn't get to his own his own uh, um, deepest you know his will. Even I would say that maybe the box represented his will. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the issue of the box, you know, and at first I suggest that uh, uh, surround the box with light or take it away. And then he says, no, it's good. And I says, okay, let's keep the box, you know. But I was still going to surround that box with light because I didn't trust that box. (laughs) (laughs) Things were, I mean, just keep in mind that this is going on for a considerable period of time. And this guy is doing all of these weird bodily movements and so forth. Of course, not continuously. He would, he would fluctuate. He would sometimes lie very still. And then, you know, when, whenever, what it was, whatever it was activated, then he would, uh, then he would start the serpentine movements again and the swelling up and the belching and the expelling of gas and, and so on and so forth. So this, you know, this was going on for a considerable period of time, even though we're cutting out large chunks of it. It was, uh, well, I just didn't, I just didn't trust anything at this point anymore. I was, I was thinking to myself, quite frankly, that, you know, I really needed to get another, another occupation. You know, I could have been selling (laughs) Tupperware for God's sakes, you know. Every cell of his physical body, every aspect of his mental and emotional body. Yeah, let me just say that uh, at this point, you know, I I'm thinking that the formula is pretty much working. He has, he's kind of settled down and and. And my viewer has told me that the light is strengthening and things seem to be going well. And, and he had said and that he, uh, that it was burning him, and you had said no, it, uh, that, that they were taking it o- taking him taking it away, taking away this neg- yeah, negative entity. Yeah. So so I'm thinking everything is going pretty smoothly. So I'm I'm kind of relaxing into the flow of things and just going along, and thinking that uh, it's time to. To do the you know the final part of the process, which is uh, bring in the cleanup team, and and they clean and cleanse all the cells in his body. And is they, that part of Baldwin's ritual? Yes, is the that, cleanup team. Yeah. Yes, I swear it. <laughs> he's actually got that in the book. Yes, that you, that you have the the cleanup team. They come and they clean and cleanse you know all the cells of the body, and they they clean the spirit, and they 
remove any any aberrant energy or and so on and so forth. So it's it's uh, it's pretty pretty much a formula. So I'm I'm following the formula here and and thinking that it must be working and everything is going along just fine and that we're in the closing stages, you know, things are done and then in a few minutes my viewer is going to say, "Okay, it's gone." And, you know, we're done and and we can we can go home and, and <laughs> you know. And, <laughs> So that's that's where we are at this point. Laura picks up her story in part two of this podcast. Mm-hmm.